Welcome back to Civil Action with Brian Kabatek and Sean Karnickian. We are coming to you live from the Cala Convention in Las Vegas, apparently the largest plaintiff convention in the United States. There are more plaintiff lawyers here in Vegas than uh, probably anywhere in the whole world right now. Exciting stuff. We're here at the Jurist booth. Jurist does our PR, and this is our little podcast where we normally cover appellate cases that have just come down uh, from... California courts from the federal circuit, uh, federal, uh, not from the federal circuit, no, from, the, from the federal circuit, from the ninth circuit. That's right. From the ninth circuit. Sometimes the United States Supreme that's court. That's the big one, right? That's, that's the right. important one. That's okay. right. And that's apropos that we mentioned that because we have California, one of the finest, one of the finest appellate lawyers in California is here with us today. We're going to introduce it in a second, but first Sean, tell people where they can find us. They can find us online at kbklawyers.com on all social media platforms. I think at Cabotech LLP and yeah. Uh, and on, I think, Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe and leave feedback and complaints about Brian. Okay, so no complaints about Brian. Please, 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 please help me here. Please, I paid, help for, me here. I paid for the equipment. It's miserable here. Help me. <laughs> Love it. Uh, it. Yeah, right. If you want one of Sean's Can resume, we introduce our next guest? I feel bad for Holly sitting here having Aww. to hear our stupid jokes. I was trying to suggest how people, can, how people can hire you. Holly Boyer, one of California's finest plaintiff appellate lawyers, one of California's finest appellate lawyers. We're pleased and proud to have you here with us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I've been doing appellate law for about uh, 15 years or so, and I love it, and I kind of fell into it. Um, How'd you do that? So I started actually doing defense work and knew immediately it wasn't for me. And within a year, um, one of the attorneys there looked at my resume and kind of what I had been doing and said, you're in the wrong spot. You're an appellate attorney. That, that's where you need to be. You can write. You can argue. Let's let's get that happening. And uh, and I knew I needed to make a switch. So I switched over and uh, joined the plaintiff side with McNicholas and McNicholas. Had tremendous fun with those guys. Were and you doing only appellate work there or no, writing? So I was doing Law in Motion, which was uh, kind of an interesting twist that they had where they actually wanted to hire somebody devoted just to Law in Motion in a small plaintiff's firm. And um, so it was kind of new for all of us. And it just took off. And I loved it. And I did all the summary judgment oppositions, uh, post-trial, you know, all those kinds of dispositive motions and really enjoyed it. And then I um, did a couple of appeals. And that's how I met Stuart Esner, my partner, who I learned everything from and I adore. And um, yeah, so we, we teamed up and um, I joined him and Andy Chang in 2007. And um, and then we welcomed Shay Murphy a couple of years ago, and so he's our fourth partner. And yeah, we've been loving our our appellate practice. Okay, the way this works is I ask a question, then Sean asks a question. We hope his question has some depth in it. Sean, it's your turn. <laughs> and then you get to pick which one's better. No, you don't have Perfect. to do that. Um, what do you feel like is your biggest accomplishment in doing this type of appellate work? So I do a lot of sexual abuse at school cases. And um, I'm really most proud of our decision with the California Supreme Court in CA versus, uh, versus Hart Unified School District. It's basically um, set the standard for negligence causes of action against public entities, um, school districts. And it kind of outlines, you know, the framework for those causes of action. And it's really important to me and, and it means a lot. And that decision, you know, changed my perspective and uh, my passion for this. How many cases have you argued in front of the California Supreme Court? And tell us about what that experience is like. So the experience, I, I've done one. I just had another one that I was set to be argued, but then they pulled it and uh, punted the issue, which was disappointing. I was very excited. Um, 
but that's okay. So the one I had, it was great. It was everybody, the judges were really respectful. It was a dialogue. It was a conversation. Everything that they tell you that it should be for appellate arguments, it was. Um, we had a hard fight and lots of questions from the panel. And it was it was interesting. I, I loved it. My heart was racing, but it was it was a really great experience. You won? No, we lost. Oh. Yeah, and a split decision with a powerful dissent. And it was it Who was wrote the really uh, Werdiger. And Interesting. Um, it was she was she really get, you know, and we even had a second dissent, I believe, Lou who chimed in um, and it was it was it was an interesting What was issue. the composition of the court at that time? How many of the brown appointees were on there? Um, it was before no actually it had the two new ones. Um, so it was it was just within the last year. So it was pretty much close to what it is now. I think it was uh, I think, everyone except Josh Groban? Yes. Yes. Interesting. And um, and it was an interesting issue. It was about sex abuse at schools, statute of limitations, government tort claims. And, um, yeah, and it is kind of, it was one of those cases that, that you can see both sides. You can see the policy of supporting school districts and kind of saying, hey, this claim is untimely. This is, it's been too long. You can see those policies. But at the same time, you can really see the victim's rights. And you can see that for child sex abuse, these statute of limitations cases are, don't understand the context. They don't understand the abuse that's at issue. And we're trying to shape the law as we go in this area because similar to the Me Too stuff, it's it's like people are just now understanding what it means. How does a victim actually appreciate they have a claim for sex abuse? And you guys are trying to get the law to keep up with that. Right? Yes, yeah. And I've actually been participating uh, with CAOC in a couple uh, legislative matters where we're drafting... Tell uh, us about them. What are, what are you working on? So the current one I'm working on is to extend the statute of limitations for the USC victims uh, for uh, from Dr. Tyndall. And it's been quite a process. And it's really fun to kind of have this perspective to work with the legislature in drafting the language. But it's interesting and, you know, sometimes troubling to see the things that certain people want in the language, why they want it, the politics behind it. And, you know, kind of what needs to get done to get the law passed. People should never see how sausage <laughs> and laws are made. I, I could not agree more. It is, it's crazy. Yeah, it's something else. But we need to do it. We need to So where else do you think needs to be changed about the civil justice system? Changed, improved, <laughs> modified, altered, anything? I think our uh, the legislature's efforts to control everything and to, to put the caps on micro to kind of control how uh, the burdens. I think it all kind of needs to go to the jury. I think we can trust each other to know whether or not something was right or wrong in the jury system. And I think the more kind of uh, pointed legislation that's aimed at you know minimizing or or somehow you know constricting the claim. It ends up hurting everybody. And I understand they want to protect defendants, but I think juries will do the right thing. I think if you present your argument and say, hey, we didn't know about this, we can't be responsible for this, or whatever it may be, that's enough. Like, I think we should almost kind of stop, you know, with, with the specific legislation that's uh, creating all of these hurdles. Well, you're, you're still a relatively young or very young lawyer. You've got years and decades ahead of you. What would you like to accomplish in the next 25 years? Well, that's a good question. Um, I really like the legislative aspect. I'd like to do a little more of that. Um, I've dabbled in teaching. I loved that. Um, I taught at uh, Southwestern doing California Civil Procedure, and I really enjoyed that. So maybe a little more teaching. Um, you know, every I think every appellate attorney's dream is to argue before the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, I'm no different. I think that would be amazing. 
Um, I don't know the circumstances that would bring me there, but I'm open. You know, you never know. Uh, other than that, you know, I, I just I really like where I'm at. I love what we do on a day to day, and I love the people I do it with. What challenges did you face early in your career that you think contributed to who you are now and the accomplishments you have achieved? I think, um, you know, along the way there are, I think because of my age, I was a lawyer at 24. Wow. And uh, yeah, so, so I've been doing it a long time. How did and you I, do that? I went to, I went straight out of college. Um, I had did a you finish college early? College. No, I just I had a great time. And I went to the two-year uh, Southwestern program. The scale program? Scale yeah. program. So, wow. uh, so I just went zoomed right through, and yeah, twenty four. I was I was arguing. I was out there, and so I think that that has been a, a somewhat of a hurdle. My age, um, and sometimes I think you know I got a lot of you know showing up places. Oh, are you the court reporter? Oh, you know those kinds of comments. Those have been tough. You know um, that might be a product of sexism in in, in our yeah. in our practice. Do you too. feel Do you feel <laughs> that um, discrimination against women when you're arguing in the court of appeal or the Supreme Court? You know, I have noticed and people have pointed out to me that there is a lot of interruptions um, when I, you know, there's a lot of dialogue where I think sometimes, uh, I don't want to make a generalization, but it does feel like I am maybe interrupted more. You know, maybe there's a little bit more tendency to, to stop and question or kind of get into it rather than let me have the floor kind of thing. So I have noticed it here and there, but um, but overall, I think it just kind of makes you have to pivot, reposition, and make your argument another way. I'm, I know in writing, and I don't think it's any different with arguing or even in front of juries like you both do, is you have to make the, the your audience come to the conclusion on their own. So I'm there not to fight with somebody or kind of be in their face, but to convince them that this is their idea, that the conclusion that I want them to reach, they reached, and I'm just kind of here to help them along. It's not just an argument you're making that you want them to buy into, but... Exactly. Yeah. I'm not trying to convince them. I'm actually watching them come to this conclusion. Right. I've, I've, I've heard a lecture about um, there is a tendency in society for men to interrupt women. Yes. And I'm very trying to be very cognizant of that. Um, and I think that's very interesting you said that. And the second thing I was going to ask you, though, was a serious question, which is, do you think oral argument really makes a difference? I do. I do. And I think it does just what we were describing is this idea that if you go into oral argument as a uh, us versus them and you go in to convince somebody and there's a lot of talk in the court of appeal about having tentatives and this is a topic that comes up and, and some lawyers like it, some lawyers don't. I don't really because it automatically puts you in a position of winner loser right. and you have to convince the other side. And I think that that struggle of trying to convince somebody you know, ends up being not productive um, in terms of oral argument. I think when you have an open bench and you have kind of an opportunity to explore different areas without anybody having to take a side immediately, you're more likely to convince somebody of another way. You're, this is where you're supposed to ask a question, Sean. It's called dead air. It's yeah, embarrassing. Yeah, we have some dead air. Do you um, have a question? Yeah. Who Who were some of your biggest inspirations, either personally or people you looked up to or, or people that taught you um, in doing what you do. Sure. So um, in addition to Stuart Asner, who, you know, like I said, I've worked with and I've admired and, and now get to be, you know, his friend and partner, I would say John McNicholas was a really powerful um, person in my life because he taught me early on kind of how to be civil, even when it's hard and even when somebody is being unreasonable. And I think, you know, I remember having talks with him and I remember kind of his approach to it was always to be a gentleman with, with 
whoever he was speaking to and in front of the court, in front of the opposing parties. And I, I really took that to heart. I think that's a lesson that you, you know, you have to experience. And, and All right. For our last couple minutes here, let's have a little fun. We're going to ask you rapid fire questions. There's no wrong answer. Uh, and we just want to have fun with it. Sure. So you want to start, Sean? I'll start. Yeah. Favorite movie. Oh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's a good one. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's a, a really, really good one. Good one. <laughs> Your turn, Brian. The, 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 well, I was thinking of doing Spicoli from the movie, but <laughs> oh. I, I'll resist the urge. That's why my son is a little Spicoli, my middle one. He's got the long blonde hair, the checkered bands. <laughs> it's a, it's a great it. movie. What a, what a terrific movie. Uh, all right. Uh, favorite song? Um, Tom Petty, Free Fallen. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Favorite book? Or a good oh. book you've read lately. So this is embarrassing. I really don't read books. I read so much at work and cases and all that. I like to indulge in, in dirty magazines. Not dirty magazines. Sorry. No, that's, <laughs> we got that. That's did you right. get that? No, did you right. record that? <laughs> did did you get that, that on the, the record? The, I think we got I that. The gossip magazines. Sorry. Dirty in another way. <laughs> like gossip magazines. Yes. Okay. I'm so. T- was that my question? Hey, that question? goes to I'm show so, you don't I'm have so to read <laughs> to be one of the brightest. I'm so See, Brian. See. I don't have to learn how to read. No, you have to be literate, Sean. I've told you over and over again you have to be literate you have to master a some command of english that's all i'm asking i'm not asking much if you could be a cartoon character what cartoon character would you want to be oh goodness um oh my gosh this is sounding cheesy but maybe ariel from because she could sing so well i have no singing voice whatsoever from the little mermaid yes. do you want to try your singing voice with no, the headphone? okay <laughs> okay hey that's your pick too <laughs> Ariel from The Little Mermaid. Brian. Ask a question, Sean. Uh, if you weren't a lawyer, what would you be? Like, dream job aside from being a lawyer. Hairdresser. You, hairdresser? Down, hands down. So, can I tell a funny story? Is yeah. Time? I originally, when I um, took the bar, it was when you would call in to get your resort, or you did it on the computer and you had four digits. Yeah. And yeah. I did it, and I it said I didn't pass. And I was devastated, because I did really well in law school, and I thought, this is easy. And I, th- I made a plan that I was going to be a hairdresser and, and give up law. And I showed up to work on Monday. Um, I was interning at the time, waiting. And they said, congratulations. And your name's in the Daily Journal. You passed. And I said, no, no, I didn't. And they said, yeah, you did. And I called the state bar. And they said, you must have just entered those four numbers wrong. Wow. And I said, no, I didn't. You know, and it was I don't know if that's that funny a story. That's got to yeah. hit you in your gut. When yeah, you it's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was traumatic. That's kind of scary. I, I had a backup plan, so that's still there. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Holly. And this thank has you. been... You've been terrific, Holly. Really thank you very great. much for being with us. Sean, tell people where they can find us. They can find us at kbklawyers.com. They can find us on all social media platforms at Cavatech LLP, I think. Um, they can find us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. They could listen to us there. They could complain about Brian there. Nope. Or no, they could they leave feedback complain. about how great Nobody's Holly is. Nobody's allowed to complain. Thank you, Holly Boyer, for <laughs> Thank doing you. this. Thank you so Pleasure. much for being with Thank us. Thank you.